Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Well, the first clue I knew that the kind of Christianity that I grew up around might not be for me was in middle school. I was at a chapel. I went to a private Christian school. I was at a chapel, and we had what was called Spiritual Emphasis Week, where we spent a week being more spiritual than we would otherwise. Uh, and so the speaker came in and would give a chapel every day, and he started talking about the kind of problems that uh, infiltrate into the youth minds when it comes to music. And so he started listing off all of our favorite artists and songs. Uh, and he's, but you could tell he was talking negatively about them, right? You're like, I don't know where this is going. And he brought a trash can to the middle of the gymnasium. Anyone, anyone tracking? Some people may have experienced this or seen something like this. I see some nods. And then he said, what I want you to do is I want you to go home tonight and I want you to go through all of your CDs. I'm not old, but I'm that old, okay? So I can, I can remember you go to Best Buy and you buy CDs, like floppy disks for computers. It's gone now. Um, it was like, go home, get your CDs, and then tomorrow in this kind of epic group ceremony, we're going to all bring our filthy, pagan, awful CDs together. We're going to throw them in the trash can and burn them together. And I thought, oh, no, this is not for me. <laughs> I was definitely not going to go home and get my M&M CD, right, that I had just gotten. My parents didn't know about it, but I, and then throw that in the trash can and burn it. Every few years, uh, Southern, or every year for the past few years, Southern Wesleyan University in South Carolina have, has invited me uh, in October to give a few lectures on Christ and culture. And uh, the topic uh, that I go up and speak about is how Christians engage with culture. And for many Christians, it's often a stance of... Uh, opposition, and so we try to isolate ourselves from culture. So we create Christian music, uh, and we create Christian movies and Christian art, and, and we try to stay away from that which doesn't seem to be part of our team or originate from our team. We're starting a new sermon series this morning called Sanctify Your Spotify. It used to be called Finding God in Your iPod, but that's just old fashioned. It's like something about Blockbuster now, okay? It just doesn't, doesn't work anymore, and so now, I'm aware, though, I cringe a little bit at the title because Sanctify Your Spotify, to me, kind of sounds like we're going to go through Spotify and like try to make it more holy. But that's not what we're doing in this series. It's not the goal of the series. Instead, what we want to do is look at our culture, some of it, the more popular prophets and poets in our culture, which often come to us through musical artists, and then use that as a, a launching board to reflect theologically. Uh, to see how that intersects with the message of Jesus and the Gospels and Scripture. Um, I will let you know off the bat, we've done this in years past, the sermon series. Uh, I have stolen this idea from another pastor. Okay, like all great ideas, it was stolen. Uh, there's a pastor in Missouri, Brian Zahn, and for like a decade now, he's done this Finding God in Your iPod series uh, and back in like 2013, I had listened to it for a few years. and was like, we're going to do that here at the church. Um, different artists and different songs, though, of course. And so every week, we'll look at a different artist and a different song. We'll listen to it, and then we'll reflect on it together and use it as a kind of diving board into the scriptures and into some theological reflection. Uh, I'm not the first to do this. Brian's on. This other pastor is actually not the first to do this. So all the way back in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul um, mentions, he quotes two 
of the uh, poets, uh, two poems from the larger culture in order to evangelize the city that he's in. Um, and so this is a, a something that Christians do uh, all the time, something we can take a cue from Paul from doing, is to look at, at what our uh, surrounding culture is saying and then uh, reflect on that in a uh, productive and constructive way. And what I've found and seen is uh, that oftentimes the, the popular music around us, um, like all good art, reflects the deepest complexities and longings and hopes and questions and doubts of humanity. And these are the very same things that you find addressed in Scripture over and over and over and over again. So, a couple rules about Sanctify Your Spotify. Even in a small group like this, musical tastes are eclectic and diverse, okay? So I can't guarantee you'll like the music or the artist or that you'll be aware of them. There's really only two rules when it comes to this. One, I've got to like the music because otherwise it's hard for me to preach about it. And then two, it's got to be the type of song that kind of makes me want to talk about Jesus, makes me want to reflect on an important theme of Scripture. And so we begin today. Today's artist is One Republic. Anyone heard of One Republic? Pretty popular band. Um, it's just one word, One Republic. It's a six-piece American rock band from Colorado. They got their start to continue this old-fashioned theme on MySpace in 2006. Uh, they were an unsigned group on MySpace, and they dropped a single called Apologize. Who remembers that song, Apologize? That, talk about an earworm. That thing got stuck in your mind and never left. It charted number one when they were unsigned in 19 countries. Uh, from MySpace. And so they've blown up since then. Um, they've sold tons of albums uh, and they have uh, won lots of awards. Um, Ryan Tedder, their lead vocalist, is a very accomplished songwriter. And so he's one of those guys who kind of everything he touches turns to gold, at least commercially. And so he's uh, written songs for most of the most popular artists um, that you are aware of. He's won three Grammys just for his songwriting abilities. Um, I mean, we could go through the list. Adele, he's written for Backstreet Boys, Beyonce, the Queen herself, Ed Sheeran, Jennifer Lopez, Jonas Brothers, Maroon 5, Taylor Swift, U2, Paul McCartney, all of them. Um, and so he uh, is a very, very popular and in-demand guy. Today's song comes from One Republic. It's called Connection. It was released in the summer of 2018. Uh, it charted on various billboard uh, list uh, after its release. And then the music video, which we'll see in just a second, has been viewed about 20 million times online. And so it resonates with people when they hear the song and they listen to it, and, and we'll explore why that resonates with us this morning. So without further ado, here is the music video for One Republic, their song Connection. In the music video, you see it's shot in this train station, and he's walking around kind of by himself, unable to connect with all these professionals walking around. I don't know if you noticed it, but they all had their hand up. And we're looking at their hand, and even this interpretive dancer in the middle, they're taking selfies with her with her hand. I don't know if you can relate to that, if you've ever been in public and kind of looked up around you at a restaurant and seen people all looking at their phones instead of connecting with other people. Can I get a connection? He, he says he, he needs love and devotion. He, he wants someone to take him to the places and to the people that know him. He asks, if there's so many people here, then why am I so lonely? Can I get a connection can I get a connection? Real friends, good friends. He said they're hard to find. Can I get a connection? He says, I can see it in my reflection. We'll, we'll talk about this in a bit, but there is a stream of Christian theology that will say the reason you and I desire connection is because we were created in the image of a God who is himself relational. 
And so as a Christian, hearing that lyric resonates with me. I think, yes, even in our own reflection, we can see something that testifies to our need for connection, to our need for community, deep and genuine friendships. The song is a melodic plea for genuine community. It's a poetic call for deeper and more meaningful friendships and relationships. It's a prophetic expose of the irony of our modern world where we're hyper-connected in one sense and yet so isolated in another sense. And I think most of us can relate to this, can relate to a feeling of disconnection, of isolation. Most of us at different times and at different places in our lives have felt the pain of loneliness and have longed for community and connection. Ryan Tedder is certainly not the first person to express a desire for connection. In fact, this is a theme you find throughout the scriptures. In fact, God himself is going to say over and over and over again that one of my main purposes in acting in the world is to form a group of people who will bear witness to this deep and abiding and beautiful community where all that longing and hope that's expressed in the song can be found and enjoyed and experienced. Let me invite you to flip with me to Psalm 133, if you would. Psalm 133 is is what we'll look at this morning as we continue to explore this theme. I figured we'd jump from one song to another song. The book of Psalms, the Psalter, is a collection of songs, of poems. It's easy to overlook, but our scripture is actually jam-packed full of poetry, of songs, Depending on how you define poetry, around one-fourth of the Bible to one-third of the Bible is poetry, lyric, metaphor, an image, and song. And the Psalter, my Hebrew professor used to say, is, is God's iPod playlist. It's God's curated playlist. It's his 150 top favorite songs, the heavenly billboard chart right here, the Psalter. One of the things my lovely wife does is she'll um, pay attention to songs that I like, and if I mention a song, and then we'll be on a road trip, and I'll be like, man, we are just hitting it. There's like five great songs in a row. Where's this coming from? She's like, it's a playlist I made for you. And I'm like, this is my love language curated playlist. Yes, you can look at your wife or husband right now and say, what is happening? Did you hear the preacher? (laughs) This is God's curated playlist for us, the Psalter in Psalm 133. is, is one of my very most favorite songs that God has given us. It was actually the first poem that we translated and worked through as an undergraduate student in a Hebrew poetry class, and it's always stuck with me. So I want to share it with you this morning. It's a song, and the subtitle you see in the Bible is a song of a sense of David. And so this is a song that the Israelite people would have sung on their way towards Jerusalem. You see, every year there was a yearly pilgrimage, and so they'd make this travel, this journey to Jerusalem. And as they went, as any good road trip, they would sing songs together. They'd roll down the windows and get put on their favorite jams. And, and this was one of them, Psalm 133. And we read together, Behold, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. A short, sweet song, jam-packed 
though, full of meaning. You could probably tell listening to Connection, the kind of pop appeal that Tedder songs have. It's an easy play on the radio. And yet one of the things sometimes you exchange for that pop feel is kind of deeper, more complex lyrics. And so you get a lot of repetition. And he just sings the same thing kind of over and over and over again. And in this Hebrew song that we get, you get much more complexity. You get perhaps almost an infinite amount of wisdom and depth here to explore. You get metaphors, which might be unusual to you and I, but yet when we dig into them, we might be able to find a whole lot of meaning from them. A couple of things I want to point out from this psalm. Some truths about community, some truths about connection. The first one is this. It's somewhat basic, but still important. It's that God desires for his people to have and experience true community. One of God's desires is for people to, as the psalm says, dwell in unity. These brothers dwelling in unity. This is God's intention for his people. My Hebrew professor would argue that a perfectly good translation of dwell here would be to party. This is a, a picture of a group of people who are sharing life together. They are rejoicing with one another when there are joys. They are grieving with one another when there is pain. They are bearing each other's burdens. They are forming genuine, transformative relationships. And the psalmist says this is good and it's pleasant. You and I are called to live in community We live, though, in a world that is hyper-individualistic, and so we often think of ourselves as self-autonomous, self-controlled. We don't need to rely or be dependent on anyone else, and and we also live in a world of hyper-mobility, where people move around a whole lot, and connections are hard to find. Couple that with the technology advances that we have experienced in our lifetime. And it's important to look at what technology does to us, because technology is never neutral. I'm not an anti-technology guy, but it's important to observe what it does. I mean, if you look back, you can see how life has changed with the different technological advances that we've gotten. Before the newspaper, news traveled person to person primarily. It was kind of like a gossip center, face to face. With the newspaper and TV, now these things start to become more individualized. You can get it by yourself. Think of even just AC and heating. It used to be before you had these central AC heating units, if you wanted to be warm, you were together with the family in the living room by the fireplace. But then we're able to shoot heating into every room and now we're able to be comfortable on our own and by ourselves. It's been observed many, many times that in a world with social media where you and I are able to connect with people from all over the world, at different times and different places, and form some deep and genuine connections. That one and the same time, it is also the case that sometimes the same social media has the opposite effect on us. It makes us more disconnected. It increases feelings of isolation and depression. You know, when I was in middle school and didn't get invited to a party, I I was largely unaware that I wasn't invited to a party. Now I log on to Facebook and I see how much fun all of my other friends are having at the party without me, right? And my invitation must have gotten lost in the mail somewhere. Social media, which can be so powerful at connecting us, can also at the same time be so powerful at isolating us and disconnecting us. And yet, it's to community. 
deep and true and meaningful community that God's people have been called. But there are obstacles in the way. One of the obstacles is that you and I have been trained in a culture that has um, been formed by a big ism, consumerism. The idea that we are basically as human beings consumers. This is what we do. We make and consume. And, and this has kind of infiltrated how we view and think about everything. So it's not just at the supermarket choosing between cereals that we act like consumers. It is even when it comes to healthcare and doctors. We consume. We want to pick what we want to get and receive if we have the means to that. We, we even take this approach toward churches, right? We church shop. We, we consume. We, we take in. But in a consumerist environment, community can be hard to have because often what happens is people want to demand the benefits of community without the inconvenience of commitment. They want to demand the benefits of community without the inconvenience of commitment. But to have community, to have connection, it requires commitment. It requires time. It requires face time. It requires you experiencing and getting over disagreements and disappointments, hurt feelings, miscommunication. Without commitment, you can't have true and deep community Another obstacle in the path to you and I experiencing these connections is the the requirement for deep connection of vulnerability. It's often very hard for you and I to connect with one another if we're unwilling to be honest about ourselves, particularly about the things we're not so much proud of, places of shame or doubt, places of pain. You have to be vulnerable. You have to open yourself up to the possibility of being hurt in order to truly connect with other people. If you're unable to do that, it's often the case that you intuitively understand that people don't love you fully because they don't know you fully, right? Like if you've got the boogeyman in your closet, this big, deep, dark secret no one knows about, then maybe you'll, you'll have a lot of friends and connections and, and, and maybe they'll express lots of love and support for you. But in the back of your mind, you can always come back to this narrative that's somewhat true, which is that, well, they don't know the real me. I mean, they don't, they, don't, they don't really know who I am, and if that was ever exposed, then, then who knows? Maybe they wouldn't be there for me. Maybe they wouldn't love me in the same way. Richard Beck, a, a Christian theologian and sociologist, observes that in the American church, we often mirror the scene of the church in Acts 4 in a distorted way. So in Acts 4, the church is together, we're told. This is right after the church is kind of born. And the picture painted for us is that the church would come together and they would share everything that they had, and we're told in Acts 4 there was no needy person among them. And he says, if you go into an American church, you find a similar picture, but in a distorted and unhealthy way. There's no needy people among us, not because we have no needs, but because we don't share them. Because we pretend that everything's okay and everything's fine. And so I pretend that I'm fine, and you pretend that you're fine. And it's because you're afraid of me and I'm afraid of you. And we have this deep abiding fear of being needy in a community of neediness. You see, you can't bear another person's burdens unless they are burdensome. No one else can bear your burdens unless you have burdens and place burdens on other people. One of the first tasks that the message of God brings to us when it comes to community is allowing us to accept and be okay with the fact that we are dependent on other people. 
We are dependent on God for life. We're dependent on other people for support. You are needy. It's not a bad thing. It's not something to be ashamed about. You are not okay. You do need other people's help. Self-autonomous, self-sustaining, self-reliant people, people pretending to be fine, this is not what the kingdom of God is made up of. And what happens when we fear being needy in a community of neediness is the, the witness of the church is compromised. We're, we're unable to experience and form this deep, true community. And this is a, a sad thing because this community promises so much to us. So the second thing I want to point out from this psalm is, is look, at the, look at the way this community is described. In verse 1, he says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live life together when they dwell in community. How good and how pleasant. Say this word with me. It comes from the Hebrew language, tov. Tov, tov. This is the word for good. Behold how tov it is when you have this type of connection happening among God's people. Now, it's hard to read the word tov anywhere in the Hebrew Bible without hearing at least the slightest echo from the very beginning of the scriptures. In Genesis 1, as creation is unfolding, we hear this word over and over and over and over again, repeatedly. God creates and he steps back after a day and he says it's tov. It's Tov, it's tov. What we learn from Genesis is that if anything is being communicated about the world, it's that there's this deep and abiding sense of goodness to it. And any time I think you, you see this word in the scriptures later on in the Hebrew Bible, I think there has to be at least the smallest and faintest echo here of Genesis 1. You see, God created the world with the intention that it would be good. And this word implies beautiful, peaceful, well-organized. It would, it would run well. There's a wisdom to it that makes it work. And I think when we're told that this type of community, this type of dwelling in unity is good, it's a way for you and I to experience what God's intentions were for creation. When you and I live together in unity, when we have these connections in this community, we're able to tap into the deep wisdom that God created the world with. You and I were created always to live in and to find life in relationships with one another. It's good, and, and then he says it's pleasant. It's pleasurable. It's something to be enjoyed. When done right, and it's not always done right, but when it's done right, when the church can cultivate community, it has the potential to divide the pain of life and multiply the joy of life. To divide the pain of life and multiply the joy of life. What I, what I mean by this is, is when we can share life together, then beauty is opened up for me that I otherwise wouldn't experience on my own. If I was my own self-enclosed unit, then when something beautiful happens to you or in your life, I'm unable to share in it. Instead, Christians are said to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so when, when a blessing comes your way, when something great happens in your life, when you are blessed, I am able to receive a portion of that. I'm able to participate in that. And so the beauty of life is opened up to me even more than it would be otherwise. And I think we could all say it would be a good and pleasant thing to experience more of the beauty of life. And on the other hand, life's painful. There's sorrow, 
and despair and hurt. And it's too much for any one of us to bear alone. When done right with community, the pain that comes our way, the sorrow that enters into our life, is divided. The weight is taken off of us. Instead of carrying it on my shoulders and my shoulders alone, now it's able to be carried by three or four or five people. This is a gift. This is a good gift from God. That is really hard to overestimate. It's hard to exaggerate. We, I think, can understand why the psalmist would say, Behold, how good and how pleasant this is in a world where it's so easy to divide as humans, it's so easy to hate others as humans, it's so easy to retreat into our own echo chambers and lob verbal grenades at one another and and paint bad intentions for everyone else and demonize those who don't agree with us or come from the same backgrounds that we come from or have the same opinions that we have. In a world like that, a group of people who cultivate deep and abiding relationships, connections, What a gift. How good and how pleasant that is. The church should, at its highest, I think, be a place, a community, where we intentionally and purposefully counteract the isolation of our world. Where in our act of worship and our act of fellowship, we cultivate deep and abiding connections, relationships. I like to call them... 2 a.m. friends. The church should be a place where you and I are able to find and lean on, cultivate these, these 2 a.m. friends. A 2 a.m. friend is the, is the person that you call in the middle of the night. You feel comfortable calling them in the middle of the night when, when something terrible or awesome happens in your life. I would ask you right now, just think about it. I mean, who are those people in your life? How many people do you have like that? All of us, I think, would benefit from having at least a couple, two or three. Jesus, I think, models the life of community so perfectly for us during his own life. He he travels with this group of disciples, and and they're kind of these co-centric circles to the relationships. And so Jesus has 12 disciples who follow him kind of everywhere on the road. But even within those 12, he has an inner three. You remember this, Peter, James, and John? And he's tight with those three. He shares more with those three than with the 12. And then even beyond the 12, there's a a group of 72. And beyond that, there's a group of 120. And this is how community works just in individual lives. Sociologists have observed this. You and I are not able to be best friends with everybody, nor would we want to be best friends with everybody. In a church, you shouldn't try to be best friends with everybody here in the church. But perhaps you should aim for an inner circle. And then a little bit larger circle. And then a little bit of a larger circle. And in so doing, you'll find these, these blessings. God's people are called to live in true community. True community is good and, and pleasant. And then the last thing, perhaps the most important thing that we could take here from this psalm is that it's in community where God's power and presence, his life is mediated to us. Look at these similes. He uses two similes, metaphors. He compares communities, two things here. Now, they're, they're kind of unusual to us, but let's unpack them together. He says, the first thing it's like in verse 2, precious oil on the head. 
running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Now, this is kind of an unusual simile to us. This is an image that doesn't come from kind of our world and life. But in, in the high priest and the, the culture of the Israelites, um, they would have blessed the high priest Aaron here with some oil, some very expensive, fragrant oil. And this oil represents God's spirit coming close to this person, empowering them. It's God's presence coming close, God's power taking over their life. To be anointed with oil is to have God's life mediated to you. And, and this oil, very expensive, would have been used judiciously. Like, drop, drop, drop. And that's enough. And look at the imagery here. He, he kind of, the psalmist kind of trips over himself describing. It, it's like oil on Aaron's head, but instead of a drop or a swipe, it's like a shower of oil, right? It's running down all over his head. It's stuck in his beard. It'll be there for days. It's running down on his robes. It's getting all over the place. In community, when brothers dwell together in unity, God's power, his presence is mediated abundantly. This is what Paul is getting at in the letter to the Corinthians when he says you, and he says plural you here, you all, the community, the Corinth church, you are God's temple. You are where God's spirit dwells. If you've ever asked the question, where can I go to experience God? The answer the scriptures gives us is there's lots of places you can experience God, but one place you can expect to experience God is within the community of believers and the relationships among God's people. Through those prayers together, through the laughs shared and the tears shared, through the discussions, God is at work. God can be felt. God can be found. The Spirit moves and moves powerfully. The second simile, similar, it's like the dew of Hermon, the water which, which falls on the mountains of Zion, producing life there. Mount Zion is, is where the, the temple is. And so this is a song of ascent. Remember, they're, they're singing this song on the way up to the temple. And you've got some geography in play here with the poem. So they're going up, literally up, right? The temple's on the top of this hill. And so they're, they're marching upward. And then in the song, what's happening? The oil's coming down. The dew is falling down. And you have here geographically, spatially, a poetic picture of the collision of heaven and earth that meets in God's community. When brothers dwell in unity, the blessings of heaven are experienced here on earth. Or as Jesus would say, the kingdom has come. On earth as it is in heaven, God's will is being accomplished. This last phrase in Psalm 133, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. It's a little ambiguous. The question we could ask would be, what's the there representing here? What's that reference? For there the Lord has commanded the blessing to be received. For there life eternal is found. Perhaps like a good artist, he's okay leaving it open-ended to us. Perhaps he wants it to be up to our interpretation for us to thoughtfully discuss it and think through it. There seems to be two main possibilities. It could be Mount Zion, which would make sense. It could be the temple itself. For there God has said, I'll come and meet with my people. They'll be blessed and receive life. But that there could just as easily, and perhaps an argument would be made to be more, would make more sense in context, that there could be the dwelling together in unity. For there, 
the Lord has commanded the blessing, life eternal. There is no path to God's life outside of relationship. There is no path to the blessing of God outside of relationship. There is no path to the deep, abundant life that he has come to give us. You see, you and I are created with needs of connection, both to connect to God and to connect to one another. To have one without the other is to be a little off base, to not receive either fully. What the scriptures would tell us is, is you and I find connection to God through our relationship with his son. It's by being in union with Christ, buried and risen again with him through baptism. It's with our relationship with his son that we receive life with the father. You and I have been adopted into God's family. You and I hear God's promise that he repeats throughout the scriptures to his people that I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you because of the relationship we have with Jesus, because of the person and work of Jesus. There is no path to the Father that doesn't go through a relationship with the Son. Likewise, I think there is no path to the life of God that doesn't involve, go through deep and abiding relationships with Christ's body, his people, the church. And this can be difficult because the church makes mistakes. Like all humans, the church disappoints. And the church can, can be a place of abuse. The church can be a place of some of the most evil and sinister things of our world being covered up hidden away and protected. But this is all the more reason for us to press on to lean into the potential of community that God lays out for us in his scriptures. Relationships where you and I can be known and loved, where you and I can grow and transform. You see, one of the mistakes we can make when talking about community, a mistake I've perhaps made in the past, is to talk about community as if it is the end, as if it is the, the goal of the whole thing. Community is not the end, it's a means to an end. The end is life in Christ. The community we have is a, a means to that end. It's, it's great to have solid friendships, to have this connection, but that's not all we get. That's not the ceiling to the gift. The gift is Christ-likeness. One of the things community should affect in us, should, should make happen in our lives, is an ethical transformation, a character building, spiritual formation. You and I, by living these lives together, as the Proverbs would say, like iron sharpening iron, we, we grow closer to Christ. We become more Christ-like. We bear more fruitfully and faithfully the work of the Spirit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. In our life together, we're able to more fully embody the expansive vision Jesus has for his people, given to us in places like the Sermon on the Mount. Can I get a connection? Can I get a connection? Can I find somewhere where people know me, where I see familiar faces? And the scriptures answer this question by saying it should be, and it could be, and it can be 
the church of Jesus, the community of believers. And so I invite you to lean into that. Some of us here today feel very lonely. This is a pain, a feeling that we all experience at different times in our life. It's often exacerbated by the fact that that we can be surrounded by people, not actually alone, and yet still feel lonely. You see him say this, right? There's so many people, why am I so lonely? We did a sermon series on mental health a few months ago. If you, if you weren't here for that, you can check that out online. And we talked about how loneliness is actually this kind of medical epidemic. It, it has these devastating physiological effects in our life. It, it literally kills you. Not just physically, also spiritually. It robs you of, of life. And the good news of the kingdom of God mediated, brought to us through Jesus, is that you are not alone and you don't have to be alone, that these connections can be made. And so the invitation for you and I this morning is to rejoice in those connections, is to lean into and embrace those connections, and is to take our place in extending that community out to other people. It's to think about, am I plugged in? Do I have these 2 a.m. friends? If, if not, where can I find them? Where can I start to form those relationships? And then it's to also constantly be on the lookout around you for where you can extend that fellowship, where you can invite others into that life that you have found. It's, it's not good enough for a church to get together and be content that they've found community with one another. It should be an ever and always expanding community, just like the life of God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit perfectly loved, in perfect joy, but constantly wanting to bring in more, desiring that all would be saved and brought in and experience this life. One of my favorite things to see happen is for people on on Sunday morning to be intentional about reaching out to other people that they don't know very well to be intentional about making connections with people who are visiting or are newer to the church. People who aren't satisfied with the community that we've got or that they have, but instead are ever seeking and pursuing to extend that, to invite others into it, who, who throughout their week are looking around and, and wondering who might be ready, who might be available for that invitation to come and experience all the blessings of community that we have found and are continuing to find. In a minute, we'll come to the table, and the table is, like for so many things, the perfect embodiment of this idea. At the table, you and I find that we have a place with God himself. We have a connection with the creator and redeemer of the world. And at the table, we find that our place is not by ourselves, just you and Jesus, but it's with his people. The table set with many seats. At the table, we find our unity with our brothers and sisters. One of my favorite quotes that I've ever read about the church, so indicting, he says, is, is the, the church at its worst sees other people as mutual friends of Jesus like mutual friends on Facebook, right? Like we know the same person, but otherwise you and I don't have that much in common. And so we come together, we gather, we, we do worship, we do songs, we, we listen to a lecture, 
And the only real reason we're sitting this close to each other is because we just know the same person. We admire the same God. And, and they, we don't understand the deep and abiding connection we have as the body of Christ. We don't understand the deep gifts and blessings that God desires to give to us by leaning into and digging into and getting more connected with one another. And so as we come to the table this morning, I invite you to give thanks to God for the gift of community, both with him and with one another, to seek, to enjoy and experience more of that community, and to be ready and willing to expand that in whatever way you can throughout the following week to your friends, to your family members, to your neighborhood, your schoolmates, co-workers. What a gift that we have been given, and like any gift, it's meant to be shared.